This holiday season, you can give the gift of promoting liberty by supporting the Cato Daily Podcast on behalf of a friend or family member. If you give $500 on behalf of that friend or loved one, we'll send a replica 1776 Continental Dollar and a signed copy of David Bose's up-to-date statement on libertarianism, The Libertarian Mind. We don't take money from the government, and the vast majority of Cato's support comes from individuals like you. Give the gift of liberty this holiday season and visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to learn more. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 12, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Telemedicine shows great promise for delivery of medical advice and lowering costs for patients, but many hurdles still stand in the way. Shirley Svorny is author of the new Cato Report, Liberating Telemedicine. We spoke last month. We are used to consuming medical uh, services from doctors in person, waiting in a room, uh, I think there's probably a lot, a lot of lost man hours in terms of people sitting in waiting rooms. So, what is the uh, what opportunity really does does telemedicine provide, and what are the concerns about people on mass just switching to consuming medical services in this way? Well, there's there's what you've suggest what you've talked about is the one that's the most popular kind of direct to consumer, direct to patient care, where you just talk to your doctor on your cell phone, but Telemedicine has a lot of other applications. There's telestroke, which is like if, you have a, if you're a stroke victim, they can get you care really fast. And they, they've used it for the military, for prisons, so they don't have to take prisoners. They don't have to transport. They, they can treat them in the prison. There's just so many things they've used it for, rural areas that don't have access to care, specialty care. Um, so we're not all going to run out and just have everything done via telemedicine, but it really does make a lot of services much more convenient. Um, most of the stuff that you would use telemedicine for maybe would be the kinds of things you would get at a retail clinic uh, if you have a cold. But also um, there's some a lot of specialties that use it. Derm- dermatology, you can take a picture of a mole and send it to your doctor. So a lot of it would be preventive or standard uh, services like uh, so consultations and things like that, or um, I don't know so much preventive, but in some ways it is right. They'll take like people who are living who live in assisted living facilities, and when they think there's something wrong, they'll check on it so that they don't have to take them to the hospital. And and often they um, the argument is that you can reduce hospital admissions by making sure that people um, are treated when they need it, not waiting till it gets bad especially the elderly or people with chronic conditions. So one of the big problems uh, that uh, you and others have identified is that uh, states have some issues with people being treated sometimes across state lines about uh, you know, talking to a doctor directly who is not uh, licensed in the state that uh, the, the patient is in. Uh, what is the actual concern there and how legitimate is that concern? Well, for a long time, people have been talking about this as a barrier to interstate telemedicine, that you have to have a license in every single state. So if, you want to, if you're a doctor in Ohio and you want to treat someone in Nevada, you have to have a license in that state. So if you wanted to treat people in multiple states, you'd have to have 15, 30. Some doctors actually have 50 licenses because they work um, in, in telemedicine. Uh, it's not that it can't be done. It's just that it's time-consuming and costly, and so it discourages people from doing it. And so 
what you're what you're losing is uh, access to care and the potential for lower cost care. So, um, and you're all, what you're also losing is the like if you had. If you could, if doctors could practice across state lines, you'd get a lot of the innovations that you see in other industries, where you start to let them, you deregulate them. Like twenty years ago, or thirty, whenever it is, we deregulated trucking and banking and stuff at interstate, interstate trucking and banking. It, it just it, it lowered prices of uh, in trucking and it made it more competitive. And that's the same kind of thing you might see in telemedicine. It's hard to predict what you'd see, but you'd see more competition. You'd see. Um, innovation, investments that are worth making because you can have a much broader market. Would you expect to see more transparent pricing? That's something that I would expect. I don't know. I think the whole thing about transparent pricing is going to depend on how we structure insurance. So, I mean, I know that's something that a lot of people think would be really good that if people shopped around, but unless you structure insurance that way, you're not going to have it. If people don't have to shop around, they... Well, but um, almost all the major employers are starting that provide insurance are starting to include this. But um, there are some people who don't have it, and they can just go online and get it. They can go to Teladoc or one of the other providers, and I think it's like fifty dollars, and it's fairly inexpensive. So that that is transparent. So uh, what are states doing? What is the concern that states have, or state regulators have, with respect to physicians not being licensed in their state? who are providing services in those states? It's, it's, that's such a good question because, you know, the doctors are all very similar. The licensing systems are very similar, but it, it just has to be that they don't want the competition. They say it has to do with protecting patients and, and um, quality, but that just doesn't make any sense. Are any states offering reciprocity with other states? Uh, there's a few, but it's very rare. And um, there's something new, the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact. Uh-huh. Um, that has been promoted as if it is a reciprocity type agreement, but it's not. It just helps you get licensed. It doesn't. You have still have to be licensed in every state. So even though it's gotten, they they've really actually misled people in a lot. They their web page was called uh, licenseportability.org, and portability means you can go across state lines, and they've never offered that. So I think your point is what do states have against it? I think it's just political and special interests and. Um, the, but the real issue behind it is that it is this time-consuming thing for the doctors to do. So it is a barrier. Like they have to, uh, in addition to getting licensed in a bunch of states and paying for all the different license license fees, they also have to pay license renewal fees. And there's different clinical practice rules that aren't really hugely different across states, but they're different enough like for informed consent and things like that, that doctors who are practicing in multiple states, it's, it's, it just adds to the, the difficulty associated with practicing across states. And in fact, one of the companies that provides those kinds of services, eVisit, has a quote on their webpage that talks about, you know, all, the, all these extra hassles associated with trying to operate with so many different licenses. And they say the arduous nature of these laws uh, defeat the quick convenience of telemedicine. And that's, you know, the arduous nature of these state laws make it so that something that should be really simple is just not. So what's the fix? What, what, is, what, are, what should state legislatures be doing uh, in the interest of people who want to consume lower cost medical services and get the expertise of physicians uh, without being uh, wound up in this uh, sort of trap 
Right. So there's there's two things that states uh, there's two policy options for, at the state level and there's two policy options at the federal level. So because um, this is something I've worked on for a million years, I can't not point out that we could get rid of licensing. But I know that'll sound like a you know idea from nowhere. The Institute. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But if you read the stuff I've written, you'll see that really um, the protection for consumers is is coming from processes. You know, you just don't go and get to practice in a hospital or get on a network or get reimbursed without those people checking you out, and that's what's protecting you. And medical malpractice insurers check the doctors out as well. So, you know, don't ever go to a doctor who doesn't have malpractice insurance and who doesn't get reimbursed by anybody, because even though they're licensed, that's that's not good. Um, so that there's one that I don't want to not say get rid of licensing, but I know most people that's not going to happen. And, well, I agree with getting rid of almost all licenses for every professional. Uh, yeah, but most <laughs> people most people often leave out the healthcare because they say, well, you know, patient health and safety, and so you have to you know get rid of all the other licenses, but not this one where it really matters. And no, I'm with you. you know, I trust yeah. malpractice insurers more than state boards yeah. of medical licensure. Well, the, the all the evidence about the state boards is that they don't sanction as much as they should, and that. They they protect the doctors. And by limiting the supply of physicians in the state, they make it harder for people to get care. How can you say that that's helping patients when, in fact, they're they're actually harming them? So an- another one, actually, that falls under the same category as state, it, it's this whole portability thing, um, would be for an individual state to take unilateral action to just say, we're going to let anybody come into our state. And Florida actually had that in a House bill uh, last year in 2016, but it was stripped when the bill went to the Senate. And I think the reason they did it Florida. At first, I was going like, "Why Florida?" But you know, like a million people go there every um, winter to get out of the snow, and those people are elderly, and they probably want to have access to their doctors. So, once you think about it, it kind of makes sense. But it didn't go anywhere. But there is—that's the only place that you'll really find a proposed piece of legislation that would allow anybody from another state to come practice in Florida, uh, not to go to Florida, but to practice telemedicine in Florida. All right, and at the federal level, at the federal level, you could have licensing. Um, which a lot of people have called for since like the late 90s, where the federal government would license telemedicine providers. My concern is just that once you, we have the same problem we have at the state level, that the doctors will influence the licensing and that they'll make it too strict and you'll have this captured, um, you know, agency that won't really be acting in the interests of consumers, just like you have it at the state level. So, and you have the whole other bureaucracy. So I guess... That's not my first choice of what thing of you, you, what you could do at the federal level. My first choice is for Congress to redefine the location of the practice of medicine. So right now, the location of the practice of medicine is where the patient is. But if you were to drive, if you're a patient and you drive to the doctor, then you've just switched the location of practice of medicine to, to you know, to where the doctor is because you're there. But if you're in your home state, it's where you are. And that's what requires all these different licenses. So if instead you said the location of the practice of medicine is where the physician is, then the physician could t- take care of everybody under his or her own state license and um, and it, it would just... It would mean that any complaints would just go to one board instead of like there's 30 boards right now that license a doctor. It's very complex to imagine how that would work if one were investigating him. And so um, I think that's kind of if you could get Congress to do that. Uh, it, it would also maybe uh, buck, get less resistance from the physicians because right now if an individual state says I want to, you know, uh, 
make it so anyone can come in here. Their own physicians might not like that. But if at the same time you say, yeah, everyone can come into your state, but you can also go into all the other states, there might be less opposition to it. And it doesn't require the states to act. It just Congress just just a one fell swoop. You get this big windfall. Everybody gains. And really, it should have bipartisan support. It's just it's it's a, almost to me a no brainer. Is there any evidence about what how that might impact the cost of basic healthcare services? Uh, the only th- the only thing we know right now is that uh, private companies are using it, like Kaiser Permanente, and who ha- they're capitated, so they don't get paid. The doctors don't get paid fee for service. Kaiser is better off if you're healthy. I mean, they're using it really extensively, so that tells me that. Uh, you must be saving money uh, or they wouldn't be doing it. But also there's a point I made earlier that, you know, there's, um, you know, when you deregulate things, think about retail and how Walmart and Target, because they can use, they can serve the whole country, can be so efficient and or Amazon. And so maybe you'll get some kinds of that kind of efficiency. And so as an economist, I think that's a very likely option that, you know, that these guys will really think of something when they have a national market that will really make the whole system more efficient. Shirley Savorny is author of the new Cato paper, Liberating Telemedicine. This holiday season, consider supporting the Cato podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute by visiting cato.org slash podcast sponsor and learn more of the benefits of sponsorship. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor.